you heard me before, didn't you? And here's the thing, amen, somebody say amen. Uh, and I'm, I'm a little like stop, stuffed up and stuffy. Um, I think uh, going to Argentina, I went there, it was uh, winter time in Argentina. So I came back and then all of a sudden it's back to uh, the, uh, you know, the, the pollen and all the stuff that's going on with all the rains and stuff. And I'll be honest with you, I do not, I have not had COVID, okay? Amen? But I don't know how, I don't know how I don't have COVID today. I, I was riding on plane trips, and in Argentina, they have a little custom called Kissy Kissy, right? It, I was being kissed everywhere, every moment of every day, kiss here, kiss there. Some, some kisses even made it to the corner of my mouth. And with the women, it was fine. I understand it's a custom. With men, I never let in. Men, if you know anything, if I, I didn't lead in ever. I was there like, I just waited for them to come in. And then I met them with a holy kiss, you know. I, but the men had to lead, you know. They had to do this. And when they did, I was like, oh, Lord, here we go. Mwah, mwah. And it felt weird, but it felt good all at the same time. But I never led. I never led. I, I just knew that it was going to be that moment that I was going to mess up. And someone's going to lay something across my face that wasn't a kiss. I don't know how I don't have it. It is so good to be back home. I will tell you this really quickly. Uh, Argentina was absolutely wonderful. I can't wait to tell the church more about that. I can't, tell, I can't wait to tell you more about the work in Argentina that our church is involved with in that work. Um, it's before it was uh, something that we touched, uh, but now it's tangible. Now I can give you faces and names and, and the, the experience that I had there to share with the church, and I can't wait. They wore me out. They, I was so tired. We, we accumulated that I probably taught somewhere between 23 hours in that week. That's not counting the counseling that took place. They ate dinner every night like at 9.30. I was wanting to eat my pillow at 9.30. Woke up early in the morning, did it all over again. It was tiring, but brothers and sisters, it was so rewarding. So more will come out about that in, uh, in the weeks to come. And so thank you for having me back. Uh, really quickly before I go, I got a lot of thoughts, okay? When you get on a plane, you go somewhere, you get to start thinking about things. I am so grateful uh, Scott filled in the two weeks that we, I wasn't here to fill the, fill the pulpit. I've got, we have elders who are meeting with people in the life of the church, even though I'm not here. And I say amen to that. Amen. Amen. This is a good thing in the life of the church. Um, those of you who got an email from me before I left Argentina saying, hey, I'd like to get with you soon. I'm going to be in Argentina. When I get back, let's get together. You'll be getting an email from me if that's you in here. I've got like four families to meet with, which is exciting. I've got a couple college students to meet with, which is exciting. Man, it's just exciting. Amen. But now there's another thing on my, my mind, something that troubles me. My wife is already asking me to put out pumpkin spice latte stuff. It's not even September. Thank you. Who said that? Hey, but you have it in your hand. Missy's like, um, I have a friend on Facebook that put a pumpkin out. Can I now? No, I don't care what your friends are doing. If your friends jump off of a bridge, would you do it too? Right? It is, it's not time yet. We're getting close. We're getting close, but we're not there yet. And so uh, this morning, it is just so good to be back here with you all. And so um, just uh, bear with me as I get back into the swing of things this upcoming week. But this morning, we are once again in the book of Psalm. And in this book is the last, as we've already heard, this is the last Sunday that we'll be here before we start a brand new series. And today is like a, kind of an introduction, not for the next series, but I'll say this. 
I am absolutely excited for this series that's coming up, The Attributes of God. There's nothing more important than we can study as the church, as the people of God, than who is God? What is he like in the things that we can understand, his character, his attribute, his nature? And so in the next couple uh, weeks and months, we will be studying that together, and that's going to be very important in the life of our life groups that meet as we unpack these uh, passages of Scripture and these concepts as a church. So this today serves as the end of a study that we did through Psalm. And as you uh, already heard, the title is this this morning, Unless the Lord Builds. Unless the Lord Builds. Now, uh, I think that I heard from some, some, somewhere that Scott said, oh, if you really like hunting analogies, are coming back next week because there's arrows in here, right? Well, thanks a lot, Scott, but that's not happening, okay? Trust me, I almost wanted to do the second part of the text just so I could give a hunting analogy. But we are actually going to look at, uh, more than anything, the first two uh, verses today. That is what we're going to focus on specifically, is the first two uh, verses this morning. Psalm 127, Charles Spurgeon had labeled it a psalm for builders. And if you read Psalm 127, it's written kind of like a proverb. It's written like a proverb. And that would make sense because we need to understand who's attributed to writing the psalm. And that is Solomon, the one who gave us the proverbs. So that would make a lot of sense. The culture in which we live in church, in the day and age in which we are, is a day specifically in American culture. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's not everywhere, but specifically for ourselves, it's a day of self-sufficiency. All I need is me, we say. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a generation of our own strength. I can do this. I know I can do this. If I just pick myself up, if I just think positively enough, if I just look in the mirror and say, you're good enough, you're good looking enough, and gosh darn it, people just like you, me. Self-affirmations, we can do these things. We live in a day and age where many of us, if we are honest, at times, uh, we depend on our own drive to get things done. But this is not the way of Christianity. This is not the bloodline. This is not the DNA of all those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, it is all about reliance. In Christ, it is about God's strength. It's about dependency upon God to get things done, to make things happen, to see life change. And it's a recognition as Christians. It is a recognition that we believe with all our hearts, with all our might, with all our strength, that it's Jesus Christ who is getting these things done. I will, will say this, that that is one of the things that I really took away from my time in Argentina is the countless uh, uh, um, living rooms or, 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 or houses that I was in all week long and hearing the stories of how people have went from one thing to another in the power of Jesus Christ. Some of the testimonies I heard, and that was on full display, I was like, oh my word. That is like night and day, black to, to white, kind of like diametrically opposed situations. It was phenomenal to hear what only God can get the credit in seeing happen. Today's sermon is this. It's clear. There are no special word studies. There are no historical contexts that will be given. Um, there are no hidden little nuggets. I don't even have a PowerPoint today. That's how clear this text is for us. 
This passage is merely an exhortation. It is merely a reminder for us all here today, but specifically if you're members of this church. For there are many, many things that I would have us to understand and know as we move on into another and new ministry year. Today we have a lesson or a picture of the sovereignty of God within our text. In verses 1 and 2, if you see those before us, this is seen in three separate examples within the text before us in 1 and and 2. The the first example that is given in our text this morning, if you look, is the building of a house or or a building project. Number two, it's the protecting of a city. The protecting of a city. And number three, it's the earning of a living. It's the earning of a living. And in all three of these examples from this morning's psalm in this text, the sovereignty of God is far more crucial to the overall outcome of the situation than the will, the desire, the strength, and the actions of man. God is on full display here in our text. So if you're following along in that regard, let me, let's go through these three really, really quickly. At the end of these three, I want to give uh, uh, basically two lessons from these three given. But the first one is this. If you look with me in verse 1, unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord builds, those who build it labor in vain. Now the idea that I want you to kind of wrap your mind around in this first verse, in this first point here, is action. It's the doing of the hands, it's the working, it's the sweat of one's brow. That's what I want you to understand and see as we think through that text. i say it again. Unless the Lord builds, those who build it labor in vain. Now if you notice with me in the text, it does not actually specify what is being built here. And I kind of like that. The, the assumption is that we're talking about a house that's being built, and I don't think that that is a wrong estimation of it at all. We have many, many uh, opportunities to see that through Scripture where the building of a house is used in regards to what God is doing and what man is doing. However, this principle of building goes down to the very fabric of our lives. It could be the situation in this room today, the building of a marriage. We've got two that are getting ready to to get married really soon. We have several others uh, that are getting ready to get married. We've got Tanner and Monica back there who just got married. And you went on your honeymoon, I saw. Jamaica. Jamaica me crazy, right? You you went to Jamaica. It's awesome because they may kiss you on the face in Jamaica. Only each other, right? Praise the Lord. Honeymoons are awesome, okay? Thank, Thank God for honeymoons, right? The issue here is that it is the building, possibly, of a marriage. Uh, Possibly the building of a career. Maybe it's the building, this takes a lifetime, the building of a reputation. I think that we could possibly get the picture here. It doesn't say what is being built, but this is what we we do know. Whatever we are putting our uh, faith in to build whatever we're putting our hands to go about doing whether it be a house whether it be that marriage that reputation it says unless the lord builds those who build labor in vain unless god listen church unless god is the thread and of the focus of all of those things that weaves to every connecting point to the point that you pull it tight and when it's pulled everything comes together Unless God 
is the focus of that all. What, what we do, what we seek to do apart from him is, listen to me, it's worthless. Now, I want you to hear what I am saying. I am, or what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that apart from Christ, that if you're working on a marriage apart from him, and that God is not the focus of that, that you can't have a lasting marriage on the side of heaven? Of course you can. People do it every day. It doesn't mean that you can't build a house. That doesn't mean that even, honestly, believe it or not, that a reputation can't be built. But hear this. If God is not the focus, if God is not the, stri- the, the sh- a string that ties all those things together, unless the Lord builds it, listen to me, that thing oftentimes doesn't last, but even if it does last, it only lasts until the grave. It does not matter for eternity. And if it doesn't matter for eternity, if it doesn't happen for the glory of God, then was it even worth it? No, it was worthless. So here before us we have, unless God is the thread of the focus of it all, in that marriage, in that reputation, if he's not the source, if he's not the, the one in which we give credence to and lift up in the moment, then it will die along with your flesh. If built by human hands alone, the house will fall. The foundation under human hands is mere sand. Often human foundations may give an appearance of strength and sufficiency. However, human foundations are only a cheap imitation of a real move of God. And we as Christian men and women, we must never settle for a cheap imitation of a real move of God. That's, I would amen that all day long. I do not want to settle any longer for a cheap imitation. I want the real thing. And if I have to wait around to get it, then I will wait. Because it will be worth it in the end. And it will outlive us into eternity. Which, by the way, for the, for the believer of Christ Jesus, that is our hope. That is our aim. That is the place where our treasure lies. Our treasure is not this side of heaven, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Our treasure is in heaven, where moth and rust do not uh, destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will also be, it says in Matthew Jesus Christ, his glory, his name is the treasure of our hearts. Amen? And one day we will take possession of it and it will last longer than anything that we try to do and build without him. We see this, this concept of building and building correctly and on the right things and on the right foundation. I want you to hear this not as lost men and women. I want you to hear this as people who love Christ and are in the church. As a church, listen to Matthew 7, 25 through 27. And it says there, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. My prayer is that if you are not in Christ, you are not a believer of Christ Jesus, or maybe uh, what I would say is a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you are a visitor to church. Uh, There are concepts that you need to understand here, and we'll look at towards the end of the sermon. But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who are a part of the church, and specifically those of us who are in this church, listen to me, please. My prayer, we got a new season ahead of us. Seasons are good, aren't they? I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking at my three guys up here in the balcony, right? College guys, right? I'm like, man, it's so good to see you guys again, right? Your faces are up there. 
Brooks back. So many others that are here. It's like fall is upon us. And Misty can one day put out a pumpkin. It's going to be great. It's going to be grand. The thing that I want us to know as we start this new season, this new ministry calendar together, is this, that we must build on the solid foundation and rock of Jesus Christ and him alone. That is why we will do this attribute study soon, because we want to know and understand and cherish our God. Amen? We want to seek him out and know him well and depend on him greatly for what he may do in our midst. And I am expecting that God will do things in our midst. If he does not, I will wait. But I beg him that he will. And if revival can't happen here, I pray for all the churches around us that revival will start there. Oh, how I just long to see it. The idea being that no earthly set of circumstances can thwart what God is in his plans. Number two says, we see this issue of building, the sweat of one's bow, the working, the, the diligence. But look, it says here, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. This is the idea of security and protection. It's the idea of if one is the sweat of one's brow and the sweat of one's actions and works, here you have this idea of the sweat of one's attention. In other words, if you are thinking that something could attack the idea is to constantly be vigilant like this. Constantly have your eyes awake. Constantly having on the horizon for what may come. Listen, I was in the military, and one of the things I had to do was for like 12-hour shifts, watch the horizon line over in Iraq and Kuwait. And I don't know if you know this about Iraq and Kuwait. It's pretty flat. So I had to look a long way. At least in the mountains, you see something, like a bird or something. Something. Over there, it's like, and I'm just sitting there staring. But here's the thing. It says, look, if, if we, unless the Lord watches over the city, unless God is protecting the watchmen, the watchmen who are, are putting, they, 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 their attention, their exhaustion in trying to protect is in vain. It's in vain. How often in our times of trouble and in our times of need do we stop everything and simply pray? before doing anything else to simply acknowledge that God is first in this moment. If we're honest, and I'm, I'm, I'm just as guilty, guys. Listen, I, I have to be honest about this. There's times in our lives, all of us probably, how often when something comes up do we get on the phone first? How often, how quickly do we seek that meeting, make the next decision without first seeking direction and understanding? How often do we move and make and say without wisdom from God? counsel from others just rash run into it flippantly with the mouth i have an idea i think i know what happened here i'm assuming unless the lord is invited in unless the lord is asked or better yet trusted to watch over the city it says that the watchmen stay awake in vain this is an idea of uh, uh, of seeking for outside things to bring protection and security in here whether it be in the church or in families or whatever in relationships. Listen, Isaiah 31.1 says this. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. It is a sad state of affairs in the church 
when in our hope and in our passion, we run in fervency, zeal, for secondary, tertiary issues that we think can bring safety and peace and ease. I call it inordinate affection. It's an ordered affection. It's saying that God is the source with my mouth of our hope and our our, our safety, our protection. It is close to God. And then whatever it may be, and here's the, I'm going to be honest, okay? I'm going to be really honest. Don't, 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 Don't shoot the messenger. Know that I love you all. Sometimes I may be able to get on Facebook and know really, really quickly what you really have passion for. I can get on your social media sites. I can see what, and the world is watching. They're saying, what is it that they are most putting their hope and their faith and trust in? And I'm not saying that you don't have those things in our lives that we hold on to and we hold dearly and we fight for. Do it. Do it all day long, every day. But make sure, church, please listen to me, that you do not put in the place a hope and a desire and a passion for an inordinate affection, something that sits under the, the, the beauty, the cause, the, 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 the truth, the strength of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. Don't grab so quickly for things that will not last eternity. Grab onto the thing which is Christ and his word. Ultimately, true protection is found in the arms of God. And it would do well for the church to stay tethered. And I would say tethered meaning stay closely, chained up, lockstep, in hand, walking with the very word of God. Stay close to the source text. Stay close to the source of power, which is the spirit. Stay close to the source of wisdom and truth that does not change. It doesn't matter if the culture whimpers or winks or, or kind of falls. The word of God is forever. The issue here is, look, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. God is watching over his people. The question is, will we trust in and stay closely aligned in what God is doing and has done or what we can do in our own actions, our thoughts? Number three, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. This is the idea of provision. It sees here, we see the word anxious, toil. It's, 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 it's work again, but there's, it's got a descriptor. It's anxious in nature. It's, it's worrisome. It's, it's something that makes somebody cause at night and stay awake in the night because I have, have I done this thing? Does this thing need to get done? Oh my gosh, what happens if? Oftentimes this is connected with some sense of fear, sometimes, most of the time. Have you noticed that most often those who are the most rich, the most well-off, are often those who are the least happy and satisfied? Now, it's, it's going to hit me like a ton of bricks this morning because I just got back from Argentina. Argentina's economy is tanking. They are becoming close to lockstep like Venezuela. I paid for my hotel room, and it was like close to the millions. Like buying bread is like... You know, two and three thousand dollars for a loaf of bread, right? Here's what I noticed though. My wife was she saying to me, uh, sending stuff on Facebook and things like that, or sending to her. She's like, "Oh, they guess we've been to a lot of places all over the world and a lot of third world countries." And she's like, "They look like they're doing uh, fairly well there." And I'm like, "Well," I talked to Josue and, and Courtney about this, and, and, and we, we, I saw the slums. I saw the people are, are very poor and things like that. But she said, "Be honest." She said, "The people in the church, the people that you have met." 
They have a sense of, listen to me, it's not a, bad, not a bad form, not a sinful form, but a good sense of pride. So as believers, they, they wash their face, they put on the very best clothes they can, and here's the thing, you're not going to believe this, they walk into the church life and as a community as people of contentment. Well, what does that look like? Well, I saw them for display, so much so that it, it, it even did a, a, a fake out to Misty. Because there was no sense in which people believe, you believed that they were poor. You didn't, they didn't know that they were poor. So why would I think that they were poor? They, they just knew that they were thankful for what they had and they were content in what they had. It was, it was a phenomenal sight. But isn't it interesting that those who typically have are the ones that have not the peace and satisfaction that come with such things? If you notice in the text with us, three times already in two verses, the word vanity is used. It sounds like somebody we already learned and know really well, right? By the name of Solomon. We just got finished with the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Solomon used this word all the time. And here it is in the psalm, and he's using it all the time. And I want you to see something that Solomon says of himself in Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 11. The one who writes this psalm is the one who writes this, I believe. And he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I had also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and of provinces. I got singers, both men and women, And many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom, it remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. My heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Amen. In stop, praise God. No, sorry, he still has something else to say. Picks up there, verse 11, he says, Then, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had experienced in doing it, and behold, here it is, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I sought for happiness and some sense of uh, 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 finishedness, completeness inside of my soul, and it was like chasing after wind. If Robert was out in the parking lot today running around and you say, Robert, what are you doing? And Robert goes, I'm chasing the wind. What would you think? Robert, come in over here and sit down with me for a second. Let's, you want a cup of coffee? Let's talk. <laughs> it's the issue of trying to catch smoke. How many of you ever caught smoke? The endeavor will be a lifetime of trying to catch smoke and putting it in your pocket, but it's the most despicable sight on the face of the planet. If someone is sitting by a campfire in all their lives trying to catch smoke, that is a side state of affairs, is it not? For they will never catch it. Solomon says that I have on all these things, and yet for some reason I am still anxious in my heart. All of these things that I worked for have become anxious toil. I'm still fearful of tomorrow. Can A guy had all the money in the world. He was even living in a time of peace. And he still said, there's worry for tomorrow. What about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? What will happen? What will come of me? And here's the question. 
What good is wealth, popularity, and power to a condemned and dying man? Or woman, for that matter. Searching throughout life for ultimate happiness and peace, never to truly find it. It's all like smoke. It's all like wind. But look what, what it says next in the text. This is awesome. But for those who trust in God, look what it says. God gives to his beloved what? Sleep. God gives to his beloved sleep. There at the end of verse 2. There is a gift to be found here, and that gift is, listen, here's the word, peace. Peace. He gives peace. He gives rest in the soul of what is to lie before us. Even if man was able to boast of some sort of success in their life, even those who are very successful and are by the sovereign, excuse me, even those who are successful are successful by the sovereign hand of God, Who has God given wisdom? Who has God given strength? Who has God given wealth and resources? If you are in this room today and you have those things, listen to me. Praise God for them because it is by his hand that you have them. It is by the will of God and the plan of God that you were born in this country and not in Argentina. How many of you back in days past back when you were floating around as a thought in God's mind, said, I want to be born to such and such. And I want to go to UNCW. And I want to be married to such and such. It does not happen this way. Oftentimes, living in other places, I've, I've thought to myself often, why am I born here and not there? Why was I born to Todd and Dale Schiff and not those individuals over there? Even if we are any of these things, brothers and sisters, listen to me, it is all by the glory of God. It is all for the gift of God. It is all because of God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now here's the thing. If you have success or wealth or strength this morning, it is because in some shape or form, God has allowed and given such unto you, and therefore it should be unto the glory of God. However, maybe you have none of those this morning. Maybe your upbringing or wherever you come from was very difficult. Maybe you look back and you think back at your life and you go, did God ever even love me? And yet in this life, listen, church, listen, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in this life of pain and suffering and hardship, yes, even for you, there is found peace. Peace is offered to those who have everything and yet can find nothing. And peace is offered to those who have nothing and have found everything in Jesus Christ. Where does all this come from? Whether you're rich or poor, whether you come from this or that, where does the peace of God come from? It's simple, what I just said, God. And in that moment, wherever you are and wherever you started, the end of your life, the end of summation of where you are, we should say as believers, praise be to God. I am not what I want to be. I'm not even who I hope to be. But one thing I know is I'm not who I used to be, and by God's grace, I am what I am. This is incredibly good news for every one of you in this room. Whatever uh, bookend of life you are, whatever circumstance of life is given to you, peace is offered to every single one of us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The gospel screams to us that we are all doomed unless the Lord intervenes and acts. The gospel, specifically the law, because the law is a part of the gospel. It shows you what you cannot be. It takes you to the place to help you to smell yourself and go, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. The gospel becomes good news. Gospel, gospel, good news. Because first we understand some level of bad news. The gospel is the law. For the law points us to our need of Jesus. So the gospel screams to you that you are unable, that you are lost and desperately in need of something outside of yourself. And that need is God. It is in the gospel that self-sufficiency dies and reliance upon God thrives. What will people see in the people of College Acres? That we are a people who thrive on dependence upon God or seemingly thrive on dependence on self. Only one of those will be considered worthful, worthwhile, and the other one worthless. So here you go, right here at the tail end of this text. It's a very straightforward text. It's a very simple text. Not a lot of analogies, not a lot of stories, not a lot of word studies, the background, none of that. <clears throat> Just an encouragement from this text. And here are two lessons from what we see in this text that is very important for us. <clears throat> if you are praying people, pray for my throat because I am getting ready to no longer be able to speak. You don't know this, but I am pushing out everything I have out of my throat. I'm going to pass out. And if I do, Ed, will you come and finish up this text this morning? Y'all just wheel me off to the side and you just finish it up and pray. One is a lesson of human responsibility. It is so funny. I looked over with Misty this morning over this. I was talking to her. And right before I got to this, she's like, well, I want to say something. I want to say something. I said, okay, well, what is it? And she started to tell me. I was like, well, well hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Don't talk about it yet because the sermon's going to handle that. We, well, I want to say it right now. No, 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 just wait a second. Let me, let me get there. And here we are. This is the misty moment of the, of the text and the sermon. Lesson one out of two from this this morning is a lesson of human responsibility. If you notice here in this passage, God is not seeking to build a house or anything else without human hands. Amen? That is good news, by the way. That is good news. He, he could, he sure could. But for whatever reason, in God's love and his care for us, he says, I choose to use you to build something worthwhile. We, all of us, sinners, lost, hell-deserving, enemies of God, slaves to unrighteousness, blind, cannot see, enemies of God, it says in the passage of Scripture, God says, I choose to use you all to build something worthwhile. Hallelujah. I don't know about you. But I look in the mirror, I don't know why anything would be about me in this regard. Notice here that God does not seek to watch over a city without the use of humans to watch over a city. Again, he for sure could. He could bring angels upon angels to bring protection. And yet we all know that in this life we have a part to play. And as human beings, we are building things and we are watching over things and we are trying to sleep at night. In other words, Psalm 127 assumes that if a house will be built, it will have a builder. If a city will be protected, it will be watched over by human protectors. And God's sovereignty does not eliminate at all one iota human responsibility. If anything, his sovereignty actually helps feed it. God's sovereignty is the gasoline to our service. Because 
being successful in this thing called being disciples of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with us, amen? If, if we don't cry out to God, he says, guess what will? The rocks will cry out to him. And as I always say, and there ain't going to be no rock out sing me. There ain't going to be no rocks out rolling me, right? So the thing is here is that God does these things and can do these things, and yet in his mercy, in his grace, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, he uses us and says, you will be the rocks for which will cry out for me. Dead, lifeless things on the side of a road that God says, sing my glory, sing my praises. Oh, glory upon glory, love upon love, mercy and mercy and grace and grace upon grace. We get to be called such servants of God. This is good news God is sovereign, however, he is also a God of means. And often, listen to me, the normative, if you want the ordinary stuff here, not the, not the flat, listen, the normal, the ordinary means of God working in the lives of people, listen, is through, you're not going to like this, people. Oh, man. God can use something else, like a flashing light and an angel at my bedside at night whispering in my ear. Can it be a chocolate cake with a fortune in it? With some word from you telling me what to do. Could it be a tea leaf in the bottom of my tea? People. God said, yeah, I use people. And then he uses certain people, and you're like, okay, I understand people, but those people? Yes, that's what God does, because guess what? You're those people to someone else. God is using you for the, to, to help others to grow in their faith and their witness for Christ, and I'm guaranteeing you that there's some people in your lives that are going, them. We do it to each other. Yet, this is God's normative means, his instruments. And this is why the church and the people of God is so important. Because as I was talking in Argentina all week long, God has given us three things. You already hear me say it all the time. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit, which is dependence upon that spirit, which often founds itself in prayer. Dependence upon God. And he's given us each other, whether we like it or not. Whether you... Just know this, that if you're being used of God at all, that's the grace of God in other people's lives. However, make no mistake, unless a person rely on the Lord and work in the power of his strength, it too is all vanity. Just as much as failing to acknowledge the sovereignty of God is sinful, so is laziness, so is idleness for the cause of the Lord and for his glory. God will receive his glory. He will get his reward. He will receive all that belongs to him. And yet, we get to be involved in the love and the mercy that God has shown us. We get to be involved in service to the king that, is, that we love more than anything else in our hearts desire. For the king, Proverbs 13, 4 says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets... That's what it says in the Greek. Nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Let us be diligent for the glory of God. Last lesson. It's a, la it's a lesson about human anxiety. A friend went to visit a great preacher once and found him pacing the floor back and forth, back and forth, rubbing his hands together such as so, just kind of like, just kind of, just outside of himself, kind of like this, Friend said, hey, what's the matter? What's got you so anxious? Why, why do you seem so dismayed? 
And he said, I'm kind of in a rush. And the problem is that God's not. And isn't this true of us often? I've got things to do. I've got things to accomplish. I got this. I got that. And I'm worried to death because, but, and I'm getting them. God doesn't seem to be working on my clock. God's not doing according to what I need from him at this moment. And there are many motives for why people run ahead of God. And oftentimes, this is the saddest part, those of us in the church that run way too far ahead of God than we ever were meant to run. One can be a lack of trust. If you remember Sarah and Abraham, she offered Hagar to Abraham and Ishmael was born. And you know what conflict that brought between Israel and the Arabic nations surrounding it. All because Sarah lacked faith and trust in God. Doesn't turn out well. Maybe it's a lack of patience. If you remember the, Israel, the Israelites, they made a golden calf in the place of God from Mount Horeb. And that ended really, really well, didn't it? Did not turn out so well. The king, king saw, maybe it's, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's, a, I need this to happen. It's got to happen soon. King Saul offered sacrifice in the place of Samuel, and it removed him from the kingship because he did not do it God's way. Oh, here's the biggest one. Lack of trust. We like to point at that one and say sinful. Lack of patience. We go, oh, you're just not being patient enough, brother. Fear. We go, oh, everyone has it. Listen to this one. Good intentions. You know the saying, the road to hell will be paved by what? good intentions King David was moving the ark here and there when he should have left it still and yet God gave him a reason of how to do it even though he didn't desire for it to happen they did it, they moved the ark from here to there and a man reaches out and touches the ark and what happens to him? dies but hey it was in good intentions whatever the motive or reason this morning church whether it's a lack of trust a lack of patience, fear, pride, or even in good intentions. It is always a bad idea to run ahead of God. It is always a bad idea to get zealous and fervent in an area that God has not led you to get zealous and fervent in yet. However, here in Psalm 127, we find great source of hope. The Lord is sovereign. He can be trusted. In Psalm 127, we also learn that God has richly awarded us the opportunity, the pleasure, and the gift to be his means within this world. And brothers and sisters, listen, we must be busy for the glory of God. Let's get busy for the glory of God. Yet always trusting and always depending on his leading and not our own. The problem today is that so many find it completely acceptable to run ahead of God. To build in vain, so to speak. Churches, pastors, and Christians. Often. And you expect these things to flow from the world, but you would not expect these things to flow from inside the walls of the church of God. And I leave this with you. 1 Corinthians 3, 5-7. through 7. I say it often. I love it. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Paul's writing this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord has assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We celebrate, not marquees and logos, not our church name on a t-shirt, 
Not the reputation of the pastor or how great he is or whatever it may be. May they not say how great this, 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 that, but how great a Savior is over there at College Acres. This is the heart, this is the desire for all of us. It should be the heart's desire of every single one of us. God gives the growth. So if we believe that, if we believe the Apostle Paul this morning in that text, then guess what we're going to do as a church? We are going to have to depend greatly on God to bring the growth. Amen? The next few months, here at College Acres, we have life groups that are starting back up. We saw last semester a lot of growth in many of you through life groups. I can only imagine what is going to happen next, and I cannot wait to see it. We got missions that are getting ready to be revamped and really put forth for us as a church in real ways. We've been waiting for this moment. We cannot wait to unveil these things for the church. This morning, we're going to be doing something in a minute. We are a covenanting people. People are coming forward for church membership, even tonight as we have our family life meeting, for those of you who are members of the church. We have several names and several people coming forward for church membership. We have others who wanted to make it, but they haven't done all the, the things they're supposed to do. So probably, probably in the next three or four weeks, we're going to have a whole slew of other names that we're going to have to bring up at a special called meeting on a Sunday morning to bring more in. This is absolutely good news. Then what I want to say is that we are covenanting people. Everyone who's coming to become members of the church, they're covenanting with us. We're getting ready to do this attribute series together, which cannot, I cannot express how excited I am about this. And with all that may happen, even in the aspect of growth, we must be dependent on God for it all. We must be dependent on God for it all, church. Please do not get caught up in that American idea of if we run faster, then it will come. No, I think we should pray faster, depend faster, read faster. <laughs> we will move. We must. It is interesting to me that I see some people turn prayer into a, believe it or not, here's the op. this is the way it is with us. We turn something good and we can always turn it on its end. You can fall off the saddle on both sides, right? I've seen people all the time where God says, let's go, let's move. It's pretty clear. We need to act in obedience. And guess what they're still doing? Well, I mean, we're going to pray about it. Well, yeah, we've been praying about it. Here it is. And I think we need to pray about it a little bit more. And now we're like praying for eight months when God tells us to do something two months, uh, you know, month two. This happens. We're humans. But we will depend greatly upon God, and we will seek his face. I had a college student. I'll just tell him, Rachel. He said, she just said to me a second ago before we started today, she goes, when are we going to do a prayer meeting again? Rachel wasn't playing. I saw some, some, some evilness in her eyes. Pastor Kyle, you love Jesus, you love the Bible, you better start praying. Rachel, how old are you? 20. In my generation, you never got a 20-year-old to show up to a prayer meeting. It didn't happen unless it was pizza. Well, those days are over. Nobody shows up for pizza, all right? But we have a 20-year-old saying, when are we going to get praying again? Well, we're going to get praying again very, very soon. As a church, we must be dependent upon God for all of this. And let me close on this. And most specifically, we must depend greatly upon God for salvation. A great lesson is given this morning in the text. Run to Christ in place of your own effort and strength. The way that we need to run to Christ as a church, the way that we operate, the way that we think, the way that we pursue things, 
what we'll be involved with in this next season of ministry in the same way. That's operational. That's what we do. But in the same way for our salvation, we depend nothing on what our hands can bring, nothing on what our intellect or our, our wisdom can produce, but solely on the mercy and the grace of Almighty God to save us. We brag and boast in nothing, whether it be through salvation or any sense of, uh, 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 of growth as a church. We depend on nothing save Jesus Christ and him alone. So that in the end, only God receives the glory, which is to be the heart of every disciple of Jesus Christ. May it be said of us. Amen. This is the end of Psalm 127. This is the end of our text series through Psalm. And all I wanted to do basically is say this. Unless the Lord builds. Well, let's read it. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. From pastor to church worker to congregant. It doesn't matter. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Listen, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Oh, isn't that good? Let us work. Let us strive. Let us be diligent. Let us weary ourselves with the things of God. But brothers and sisters, let us work that way, but let us at night sleep knowing that God has got it all taken care of. And while we sleep, he is still at work. This is good news. A sovereign God who chooses to use us, a sinful people, for his glory. 